the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finney. We've got an amazing show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we will be interviewing author Joshua Scarf, former Detroiter. He's written a book called Architectura. Uh, the Torah is probably like a, a lamed in the word to fill in. It's doubled. Um, amazing. He's an architect and knows a lot about Torah. So he put them two together. And anything that has to do with building in the five books of Moses, it's in this tomb. This is a really wonderful thing. In the second half of the show, the we could be talking about the portion of Baharba Hukosai, which is in Leviticus 24 and further, but we're going to be talking about Lagba Omer, which is Tuesday, Monday night, Tuesday. We have wonderful Akamvahela music scattered throughout the show as we are still in the weeks of Sephira and uh, in a state of quasi-mourning and not listening to instrumental music. A really pretty impressive story at the end. Very, very, uh, got a good moral to it. I like it. You'll want to stay all the way to the end. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. <laughs> 22 rockets were fired from Gaza into Sderot. Three people were injured. Israel retaliated by blowing up Hamas military posts. Israeli planes destroyed the runway of Damascus Airport. The airport is used as a weapons depot for, by the Iranians. The IDF stepped up its raids on the West Bank, arresting 13 wanted terrorists. One Palestinian was killed. A Palestinian man shot at a passing car in central Israel. One man was shot and taken to the hospital in serious condition. A woman was treated for shock. The terrorist got away. In other news around the world, anti-Semitic slogans were scratched into a police car and its windshield was smashed while parked in front of the Chabad house in Hollandale, Florida. 
Royal Oak, Michigan police arrested a woman who spray-tainted a swastika on the front of the Woodward Avenue shul. The woman is charged with ethnic intimidation and vandalism of House of Worship, and she did this while on bond for doing this to another place of worship in Farmington Hills. This is a uh, smart woman. An Israeli, and this is some some interesting news here, an Israeli early warning system for missile attacks began operating in Kiev this week. Israel is currently sending Ukrainian to Ukraine defense and intelligence gathering equipment as well as humanitarian aid. Israel and China are currently in their in their first direct talks on free trade agreements since 2019. A source close to the negotiations said the two sides were at an advanced stage of tying up loose ends. And finally, there is a fruit roll-up shortage in Israel. Apparently, due to a TikTok video that went viral, the colorful candy is used to hold ice cream. You wrap it around ice cream and it gets crunchy. Who knew? Two couples were recently caught at Ben-Gurion Airport trying to smuggle in 650 pounds of the stuff. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the -the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman, here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. We have on live via Zoom Joshua Scarf. He's in Israel, and we're here. Uh, Mr. Scarf has written a book called Architect Torah, Architectural Ideas in Judaism and the Weekly Torah Portion. So it's always interesting that, you know, people want some kind of insight or something, a new slant when they're studying the portion of the week, which this week is Bahar Behu Kosai, for example, the end of the book of Leviticus. And maybe we'll talk about that one. So how are you today, Joshua? Good to hear. Good to hear. Okay. So tell us... Um, how did you come to uh, to think about even putting this book together, Joshua? Well, the story actually begins when I was in high school, and uh, and I started doing uh, a, a weekly the weekly core uh, Gemara program where you learn uh, the sorry the daily Gemara program where you learn a, a page of Gemara every day, and I had uh, I'd been doing that for a number of years and was looking for a way that I could, when you do that, you do it very uh, superficially in a way. And I was looking for a way that I could study, do study that was a lot more in depth. While I was in uh, university and uh, learning about architecture, I had something that happened to me that, that, that recurred, uh, which was in, in classes, I would, I would, they would be talking about ideas, uh, architectural ideas. And I would 
uh, in my mind, connect them to different things that I'd learned over the years in the Talmud and in other uh, rabbinic texts. And I thought that it might be interesting to look at some of those connections in depth and uh, maybe write them up uh, in connection to the uh, weekly Torah portion. And it's something that I started to do uh, once I moved to Israel. I, uh, I would, on, in Israel, we, Friday is the day off. Friday is our Sunday, so to speak. And uh, there, I had a little bit more time. Uh, so on Friday mornings, I would go to a, uh, a Beit Midrash, a study hall, and I would uh, spend my time researching uh, a topic that I picked out from, from that week's Torah portion and looking at it uh, and seeing how uh, different architectural ideas uh, connect to, to, to that idea and how they can help inform uh, the, the way that the different um, uh, uh, commentators understand uh, various verses. And one thing led to another. And uh, over the years, as I, as I worked on it, I began to think of it as, as a book. And I had gone through uh, a number of, of, uh, of, of books of the, of the five books of Moses. And, uh, and I'd, I'd come to the conclusion that it would actually have enough material to put together a book. And so, uh, so I, I, uh, I continued to do that until, uh, until I completed the, the, the book. Okay. It doesn't surprise me that you were able to pull out from every portion, 53 chapters, 53 portions in the five books of Moses and pull out something to talk about from an architectural slant because it, the Talmud that you just mentioned before says that everything's in the Torah. And I know when I'm teaching different types of people, I have to use, approach it from different ways. So if I'm learning with psychologists or mental health therapists, so my approach to Torah is from a mental health perspective. When I'm doing it, learning with business people, so it now becomes a, from a perspective of business ethics, I actually did teach Tanya, which is a philosophical work to a group of architects. And every example I brought, was basically one based on architecture, my limited knowledge of, of architecture. So some of the things, if you were to ask me on the top of my head, which of the 53 portions have anything to do with architecture? I always said, well, there was a design of the tabernacle in the, in the desert. That's, yeah, that's some had architecture stuff. And Pizzalil is referred to as like the architect there. And after that, it kind of like fall off the table, like, but you 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 started with in the beginning. So let let's start with in the beginning. For example, people are very familiar with it's a more famous biblical story is the story of the Genesis. So are we looking at God as an architect? Well, there's there's a definitely a a long tradition uh, in 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 Jewish thought, also in other religious thought, uh, of of considering God as an architect. Uh, there's a famous midrash, a, a story that's brought down in, in by the rabbis, uh, which which I actually is the is the, is the first thing that that appears in my book, where it talks about uh, it says that when God created God used the Torah as his blueprints for creating the world. It says uh, just like an architect would use blueprints in order to figure out how to build a house, so too God opened the Torah and created the world. Okay, and so did you have, when it, when it comes to like 
some of them are more easy. Okay, so like the next portion is Noah, and Noah had to build a boat. So you're talking about building over there. So you're thinking that there must have been some kind of scheme. God gave him like it has to be three stories high, and so much long, and you have to build a room for everybody. So it's like okay, but did, let me ask you: which one did you have like the most problem? Which portion did you say there's really nothing about architecture, but I got to find something, and without stretching it too much. I, I would definitely say that Bamidbar was the uh, very little happens in the part in the in the Torah portion of Bamidbar. So I yes, uh, just counting people that, are people are counted. Yeah. That's you know it's the beginning of the book of Numbers. There's counting. There's a little bit of arrangement of how they're camped. So there's what there's what to, a little bit what to talk about. There are also some uh, portions that are much smaller than others. It's interesting. So when when I uh, when I tell people about this book, they immediately like much like you did. They immediately say, "Well, there's the tabernacle, and there's the Tower of Babel, Babel, and there's the the Ark of Noah. What else is there after that?" And when I was having a discussion with my publishers about what to put on the cover, they said, "Why don't you just put on a picture of one of those projects?" And I said, "That's exactly what I don't want to put on." My publisher, we're in publications, uh, uh, we're very we're very supportive, and uh, they said, they, I said. The, the natural inclination, inclination of people uh, when I'm telling them about this book is to assume that it's about those three projects, because what else is there? And that's exactly what I want to uh, to show people, that there's that there are other things to talk about. Uh, and uh, some 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 uh, portions were, were more difficult to find. But in the end, the book includes at least two uh, two short essays about each one of the of the of the portions. And okay. Some of them have quite a few more. OK, so. When, so, so let's walk us, th walk us through about how you went about to this. Let's say we take a sure. portion like this week's portion of, of Bahar. Let's focus on that. The, the first, the first emphasis there is the, uh, the sabbatical year and the, after the Jubilee and then things going back to people, uh, what's called Steahuza, the, the uh, original ownership taking over after 50 years and stuff. So how did you go about, um, what was your development of the idea of okay. your approach to the portion that you came up with? Oh, this is the idea and this is what I'm going to write about it. That's a great question. The, the way that I did it, first of all, I, I was approaching it book by book. And I, in my mind, I thought there will probably be a number of topics that could be applicable to more than one portion. And so I thought that it would be most sensible to start with what I thought would be the most difficult book. And so I started with Leviticus, with Vayikra, and uh, I, I read through over, over, over a number of, of weeks, I read through the, uh, the entire book, and I made myself a list uh, of different topics that I thought might be worth exploring. Now, at the same time as this had, as this had been going on, I was also uh, studying the Talmud and uh, different midrashim, Mishnah, Tosefta, basically many of the books of many of the uh, the books, the famous books of, of rabbinic literature. And as I went through them, I also kept a list of different topics, different architectural topics that came up along the way. And uh, the Talmud contains a lot of anecdotal stories. It also contains a lot of uh, of 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 of, uh, of Jewish law that that uh, occasionally relates to to architecture. And so I had these two lists. One was potential topics that I thought uh, from reading through the Torah that I thought would uh, would be worth studying, and the other was uh, 
architectural discussions that had come up in uh, rabbinic literature. And I tried to connect the two of them. So I would take, I would say, well, this discussion could fit in this portion, this discussion could fit in this Torah portion. And, uh, and that was uh, the basic methodology. Um, there was a little bit of, of, of fitting portions together once I, uh, once I'd come up. I actually, in the, in, in the book, they're all together 178 essays. They're mostly two to three pages long. And uh, some of them moved around a little bit uh, during the course of the assembly of the book. And some of them were combined. Originally, there were about 250 and I combined some of them together. Uh, but, but so I would, I, so for example, for this, for, for Parshad Bahar, as you said, there, there's a discussion about uh, houses in a walled city. And so this is something that I, that I, that I looked at and uh, tried to uh, there, there's a there's a there's an interesting discussion that happens in, in well I don't I, I don't want to get too far into it because I'm not sure if this, that that's what you want to talk about but I, I I looked at that and I I brought my architectural knowledge about what it means to 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 build a house and uh, and what the difference is between a walled city and a regular city uh, and and use that knowledge to try and 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 look at the the question from a different angle and come up with a unique answer. Okay. That spurs on a question I'm going to ask you in a second, but uh, I see the second article in the portion of Bihar deals with stone paving streets. Is that an, mm-hmm. is that an architecture thing? Well, it's not really the, that, it, that article isn't so much about stone paving as much as the patterns that, uh, that are, that are used. And the, um, the there is a uh, prohibition against bowing down on stone paving outside of the temple. So the question is, why uh, why would that be uh, why would that be in place, and what exactly are the parameters of that uh, prohibition? And one of the interesting things, I, 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 I by by natural extension, I end up looking at a lot of archaeological topics because if you're discussing uh, architecture in the Talmud, you want to know what the rabbis were were looking at, what their uh, environment was, uh, how it was designed. And uh, there was a fascinating uh, discovery that was made in Israel uh, a number of years ago where um, archaeologists have been sifting through uh, debris that was haphazardly excavated from uh, the Temple Mount. And one of the things that they discovered were these uh, tesserae, were these these small paving stones that uh, they were able to develop an algorithm to fit them together. And by fitting these tiny uh, paving stones together, they were able to suggest what the paving patterns might have looked like in Herod's temple. And so I discussed that topic, fascinating, uh, fascinating papers that were written on that subject. And, uh, and one of the things that I try and do in the book is uh, introduce the readers to various archaeological scholarly discussions uh, that they, you know, they might not, they might not recognize, they might not be used to approaching when they're learning the, to- the, the, the Torah portion. And uh, and use that to help uh, explain some of the discussions that are that are tangentially related to, to to the discussions in the Talmud. Okay, cool. Our guest today is Joshua Scarf. He's written a book called Architect Torah: Architectural Ideas in Judaism and the Weekly Torah Portion, publishing by Orim Press or Orim Publishers. So, asking the question on the other hand, okay, so you're an architect and you know a lot about architecture. So when you got into it and you saw that there's something to write, how did you 
stop yourself? This is, I'm sorry how I'm rephrasing this question. How did you get stop yourself from getting too geeky such that the only person who would be interested in looking at this book would be another architect? Well, I hope that I've achieved that. Uh, I, uh, for one, I knew that if, if I limited it to just um, architects as as a readership, then there would be a very limited market. Right. Uh, but but um, more so, I, I think that a lot of the ideas that I present, I, I discuss in the introduction to the book what my target audience is. And on the one hand, I wanted to make it uh, accessible to people who have no knowledge of architecture because um, those are people who will – architects know a lot of the things that I'm talking about. And people who, who have not studied architecture will, I think, find the discussions even more enlightening because it will teach them both about Torah and about architecture at the same time. If somebody is approaching the book uh, with a limited knowledge of Torah but a lot of knowledge of architecture, then they'll have much to gain from reading it because it will present a whole lot of ideas uh, and, and sources that they might not be familiar with. And likewise, if somebody is approaching it as a, with a strong background in Torah, but a limited background in architecture, they'll also have what to gain uh, from, from the discussions because the, the knowledge that I bring with, with uh, the architectural knowledge that I bring to the discussions, I think make, make some of the, make some of the, the essays uh, very enlightening and, uh, and really help you uh, look at it from a new angle. Okay, so how should people read this book? Should they read it, say, like as a commentary on the Torah and just read a little bit every week? Or should they sit down in their armchair with a nice cup of tea and read it cover to cover? Well, I've done that. Uh, it's a daunting task. It's a 600-page book. Uh, the, it's really meant to be consumed uh, on a weekly basis. I, I, uh, I would encourage people to, to either follow along in the tour with the Torah portion. It's a nice thing to do on a, on a, on a Sabbath morning or a, or a Friday evening. Uh, on the other hand, uh, if somebody is uh, interested in specific architectural ideas, it's also presented uh, and organized by, by architectural ideas. So if you've got a specific interest in say the origin of cities or in uh, uh I don't know, uh, accessible, uh, accessibility or, um, or, uh, any number of topics that, that you could also flip through the book and find topics that you're interested in and, uh, and, and, uh, and read it that way. Okay, cool. Did you find any like modern concepts in architecture in the Bible? Like for example, um, ADA compliance type thing you have to worry about, people who can't climb stairs, what you're supposed to do for them, like building a ramp or minimalism or um, like more is less or square lines, like, you know, from the mid, from mid-century modern, any of that type of stuff? Yeah. Well, I think every single one of the things you just mentioned come up in the book at one time or another. Uh, I definitely discuss uh, uh, ADA accessibility. Uh, that's in the, in the, in the portion that discusses putting a stumbling block in front of a blind person and how, uh, how that, that informs the way that we design buildings, but also it helps you appreciate the, uh, the, the, the halachic, the Jewish law discussions about what that, uh, prohibition entails. Uh, there, there are definitely discussions. I, I, I looked at, uh, 
architectural theory really started with Vitruvius, the uh, the Roman architect, in his uh, famous book, and continuing on through through our century and uh, and very uh, recent architectural uh, essays and uh, and and theories. So I think that uh, it, it draws on vast number of uh, of source material and brings it to bear on the Torah. One 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 of the things that you touched on before that I, I wanted to, to talk about a little bit is that uh, I have a strong feeling that that it, our knowledge, our, our, uh, our professional knowledge and any knowledge that we gain in the world can be used and should be used in order to, uh, should be brought to bear to understand the Torah. That as a, as a professional architect, I, I chose my profession for a specific reason, but I can then take that, the knowledge that I've gained from being an architect and apply it to, to the Torah and I think to, to, to the benefit of everyone. And, and there are a number of, of, of uh, professionals who've done that and written uh, Torah commentaries uh, based on their profession, whether that's psychologists or I just uh, recently came across uh, somebody mentioned to me a diplomat who had written a, a weekly Torah column based on his uh, uh, his experiences in diplomacy. I think that no matter what we do in the world, that uh, we, we we could then take 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 our uh, our specific knowledge and apply it to the Torah, and that's really not just something that we can do, but something that we should do. And so that's part of what I try to do in this book. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, when someone, you, you've written this this book, and what would you consider, um, somebody, somebody buys it, they sit down and they read it, what would in your mind be that the book was successful? What, what are you trying to, for that person, what would you like to have seen that person achieve by reading Architect Torah, Josh Scarf? I would like them to come away with a, a, a an invigorated feeling of of learning something new in the Torah. Uh, the, the 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 essays are are written from from an Orthodox perspective, uh, but I think that anybody who is reading an essay will not necessarily every essay, but I hope that everybody who picks up the book will find things that that make them say, "Wow, I didn't know that." This is a really interesting way of looking at this uh, this verse, which I had never considered before, and uh, it's been very gratifying since the book came out to 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 hear that from from various readers who contacted me and uh, and said, "Wow, I really enjoyed what you wrote about uh, about this week's portion about uh, uh, I never I never considered the design of hospitals and how the uh, spiritual impurity of a, a dead body affects the design of a hospital." Or uh, I've never considered uh, the obligation to leave your corners, uh, uh, un, the corners of your field un, uh, un, unharvested uh, and, and applied that to, uh, to look at that through the lens of affordable housing and, uh, and, and that form of, uh, of, uh, of institutional charity. Interesting, wonderful, fascinating. Okay, our guest has been Joshua Scarf, who's written the book Architect Torah, Architectural Ideas in Judaism in the Weekly Torah Portion. It is published by Urim Publications, available wherever you buy Jewish books from. Joshua, thank you so much for coming on and wish you continued success. Is there going to be a volume two or something, uh, a sequel or something else in the, on the, in the pipeline? Well, I don't think there'll be a volume two. Volume one uh, is pretty, uh, pretty hefty to begin with. 
Uh, but I, I, I do continue to write, and this is what the same way that I write that I that I wanted to write this book to, uh, partly as a hobby, but also to to use my knowledge to further the Torah world. I also occasionally write uh, articles for scholarly publications, so I'll probably continue doing that. Uh, but this has been a lot of fun, and thank you so much for having me on. Okay, it has been our pleasure. We wish you continued success. Thank you. Okay, we're going to take a quick. Quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. For your listening pleasure, this coming up is Barry Weber. It's a recently uh, remastered piece. He did this one with instruments. This one's a cappella. It's A Fokulam. Where is everybody? Shatek, 
all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Herschel Finman here. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. We have up next, this is the Y Studs. They are an a cappella group from Yeshiva University, hence Y, Yeshiva University. And this is a mashup or a mash through of two songs, which they kind of sing one, they sing the other, and then they put the two together because they have the same beat meter. And uh, the first one is the Ahafta, and the other one is Baruch Hashem. Shall we go to the shed? 
that was the rise of the Y studs via Hafta and Baruch Hashem. Up next, for your listening pleasure, this is Mendy Scholler. This is a uh, also a compilation of various songs, Israeli mostly, and it's called Bola Bo. We're coming here. <laughs> Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. 
Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Hey, Shulfinman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. This week in the synagogue, we'll be finishing the book of Leviticus, the portion, double portion of Bahar Buchu Kosai, quite long, many subjects to discuss, and we're not going to discuss any of them. Rather, we're going to discuss what happens this Monday night, Tuesday on the Jewish calendar, aside from the fact that it is the 18th day of the month of Hebrew month of ER. It happens to be the 33rd day of the counting of the Omer. It is a minor holiday on the Jewish calendar. In Israel, it's a national holiday. Banks are closed. Stock market is closed. There's no post delivery. And people are out and celebrating. I mean, this is like celebrating. Um, I was in Israel for one Lagboimer. I think it was 1988, if I'm not mistaken. And we were staying at that time on the what would be Monday night. We were staying in Harnof, which is a northern section of Jerusalem, a new area of Jerusalem, and it overlooked, it's called Harno because it's on a mountain, and it overlooked like the whole city. You could see like looking out on, on the, we were like 12 floors up, and standing on the porch, we could see out really far. Um, I figured I could see like 12 miles in all directions from my apartment, except back, because I you know, would be looking into the apartment, of course, but, and everywhere you looked, there were bonfires. That was like the big deal, it's like bonfires. And of course, there's fireworks and stuff like that. In this, in the uh, village of Meron, there it's it's like really it's like on steroids to say the least. Because what the holiday of Lag Boimer is celebrating is the passing of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, some 1900 years ago or so. He was a, the number two student of. Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is the father of the oral tradition. The number one student was Rabbi Meir. And just about that that itself, when Rabbi Akiva appointed, who was number one, number two, number one means you got to sit next to the rabbi. Number two meant you got to sit next to number one. Number three means you got to sit next to number two. When he sat that way, so he apologized, Rabbi Akiva apologized to Rabbi Shimon Boyachai and said, it's enough that you and I know your greatness. Okay? Except in Hebrew, he says, it's enough that I and you. In, Hebrew, in English, it's not grammatically correct. In, in Hebrew, it isn't. The significance is, is, I know how great you are, that you should be number one. But he was, he just, he didn't live in the world. His legs were not long enough to hit the floor. He lived in like another dimension. It says about Rabbi Shimon Boyachai, that if you asked him, what do you do for a living? He would say, I learned. He didn't teach. He learned. Did he have students? He had students. But how did he teach? He would he would sit and he would learn out loud. Okay, whatever it was, whatever it was that he was learning, he would he would say it out loud. And if you wanted to sit and listen to him learning, you could sit and listen to him. And if you had a question, he would explain it. And that's how he taught, but he wasn't teaching. He wasn't taking money for, for being a, uh, 
a teacher. How did he make a living? It says, Tarasa Umanasa, he relied on the Almighty. Wealthy as in the standards that we have now in America, no. But he would say something like, you know, Hashem, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is getting hungry. And someone would knock on the door, and they would say, Rabbi Shimon, I happen to be walking by, and I have this stuff, this food, and please take this food. You know, God, it's getting kind of cold in here. So someone would come by and say, Rabbi Shimon, I happen to be walking by, I have this wood, let me make a wood, let me make a fire for you. And that's how he lived his life. He learned 22 hours a day. He sat there for 22 hours. How did he do such a thing? He's got all these other things. They say on a question, on a story, you can't ask any questions. And they once asked a person who slept very little, how is it that you sleep so little? And he said, some people can read fast. Some people can eat fast. Some people walk fast. I sleep fast. So if you can survive on two hours a night, but you know, good on you, as they say in Australia. That's that's great. That's wonderful. You know, more power to you because, you know, what are you doing when you're sleeping? In his mind, he's wasting time sleeping. So I'm not going to waste time. I'll sleep because I have to sleep, eat because I have to eat. But this is what he what he did. To how much did he extend? It says that he was not a magician. He was not, quote unquote, a miracle worker. He just viewed the world in a whole different perspective. One of his students went off, left the city of Meron, which is the, the mountain. If you're standing in the city of Safat, which is like the uh, the heart of the Galil, the Galilee, and you're standing facing south. So three miles away in your linear distance is the village of Meron. Now, it's, if you're going to walk, there's, it's going to be more than three miles because you've got to go down a mountain and across a valley and up a mountain. But if you're drawing a straight line on a map, it's only three miles away. So one of his students went away, decided he's got to go make some money. And he went off to, to Iraq, which then was called Babel, Babylon. And he came back. He was a wealthy businessman. All the other students were really impressed that this guy had had bucks, and they're dirt poor. In fact, dirt would have been rich; would have been a step up in their income. So they went and they complained to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, their teacher. So Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said to them, "You want money?" That's an interesting thing. I saw a uh, uh, I don't know if it's a joke or not. Just recently came across my desk where a guy opens up a bottle, and uh, He's walking around on the desert, on the the beach, and he sees a bottle. He opens up, and a genie pops out. And the genie says, you have two wishes. And he says, okay, my first wish, I want to be rich. And my second wish is I want to have a lot of money, too. Because it's a very pointed statement. Okay, You have a lot of money. You're not necessarily rich. In fact, the Talmud says, who's wealthy is he who's happy with what he has. So... They said, we, we have no money. Look at this guy. He's got money. So he said, come with me. The teacher said, come with me. And he went to the edge of the, the mountain towards the, the slope, which that is, in Hebrew, it's called a muka, which that's the name of the valley. And it means the, the deep valley. 
That's a good name for a, for a deep valley. What do we call this deep valley? Let's call it deep valley. Okay, fine, good. So they call it a mucha. And he said in the vernacular, valley, oh, valley, fill up with gold coins. And the whole valley filled up with gold coins. And they said, you can take whatever you want. You want money? Here's money. Okay, when they're looking at their teacher who had just done this, they were astounded and they thought to themselves, what's money? What do, I, what do I need this for? And nobody took, nobody, nobody touched anything. He says, you're not going to take it? So he said, Valley, get rid of the gold coins. And they all disappeared. Okay. So <laughs> it's like I tell people, you want to learn about the Kabbalah, how to turn lead into gold? Yeah, it's in there somewhere. But by the time you get to know how to do that, you're not going to want to do it because what's gold already? Okay. His... His uh, outlook on life. I'll give you an example. He had a son, Rabbi Elazar ben Shimon, who, in his own right, was a Jewish leader. He was a a, a great, formidable teacher. These peers, his teachings appear throughout the Talmud. So, Rabbi Shimon once sent Rabbi Elazar to his cohort in Safat to get a blessing from them. So, Rabbi Elazar made the trip. And the ways to describe Rabbi Lezer was uh, corpulent. So this was this was an all-day trip. So he went, uh, he packed a lunch, he went down the mountain, he went up the mountain, probably left like early in the morning, he got there in the late afternoon. And uh, he came in and they were sitting in a circle and they were learning and they said, who are you? And he said, my name is Elezer ben Shimon. And they said, oh, Rabbi Shimon bar Yechai's son, our teacher's son, we'll make a, we'll make a party, what, you know? And they they, they uh, brought out refreshments, and they said, "What brings you here?" He says my father brought told me to come here and get a blessing from you. So they said, "Fine, great." So what was the blessing? May you go out and not bring back. May you bring in and not send out. May your house burn down. May your tent stand. May you not know your first year, and may your table be a mess. So he heard this. He went, what? And he left in a huff. Okay? And he went down the mountain. He went up the mountain. And uh, his father came and said, back so soon? What, what, what did, they get? did you get a blessing? He said, yeah. He says, what was the blessing? So you don't want to say, he said, no, no, no. Tell me what the blessing was. So he says, may you go out and not bring in. May you bring in and not to go let out. May your house burn down. May your tent stand. May you not enjoy your first year, and may your table always be a mess. So Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai started dancing. This is wonderful. And Rabbi Elazar is thinking to himself, "My father wants to kill me." So he says, "What's so wonderful?" He said, "You don't understand. Let me explain." Okay, the custom was that when people got married. The bride moved into the groom's house. They would build a room onto the house, and that was where the new couple lived. If it happened that the son died, then the daughter-in-law would move back to her father's house. So may you bring in and not send out. May be that your son doesn't die, that you have to send your daughter-in-law away. Likewise, may you send out and not bring back. Your daughter should get married, and her husband should not die, so that she has to come back and live in your house. May your house burn down. What's the difference between a house and a tent? 
house in a tent. A house is permanent. So what's the most important, the, the most permanent thing there is, is a grave. So he said, may you like merit to uh, be a part of the resurrection. He says, my wife and I, are. she wants me to buy uh, plots in a cemetery. I told her that's the last thing I need. Anyway, bum bum So, and may your, uh, may your tent stand, the, the, the temple the, in Jerusalem, which had already been destroyed at that point, is referred to as the tent of David. So that when the Messiah comes, the the third base of Mikdash, the third temple, will be rebuilt, and you should merit to see that also. May you not enjoy a first year. So it is customary in many circles, and like when I first got married, for a whole year, the bride and groom are not to sleep under separate roofs. They have to stay together for a year. That's the custom. And there were times when it got, okay, I have to go here, and then we have to do this, and I'm sorry, I can't do this now. And we're going to have to, then for a whole year, my wife and I always were careful. We slept, even if it was inconvenient, we slept under the same roof. So he'd already married already. So it's saying that you shouldn't need to marry again. Okay? You should have one. And then your table should be a mess. Let me tell you, when I had seven kids at my house, and it was dinner time. The table was a mess. And that's what they're blessing you with. So that's what Lagboimer is all about. We at Jewish Ferndale are having a, to commemorate Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's passing, we'll have a barbecue concert. This is this Tuesday, May the, the 9th. And there is a fee, so go to jewishferndale.com to pay. And uh, standard barbecue fare, burgers, dogs, and various accoutrements. We have uh, live music. We'll have storytelling. I'll be telling more stories. I'll probably repeat the story I just told you. And uh, it's a it's will be it's a it's a great thing. It's we've been doing it now six years. It's always been a very popular thing at Jewish Ferndale. Is the Lagboimer barbecue, and that's five thirty on Tuesday. We have other things coming up on, check our website. There's a women's circle going to be starting. We have Garden Day on Mother's Day, which is the 14th from 11 to 2. Comes with lunch. There's no charge for that. Come out and help in the garden and uh, enjoy a nice lunch. You can bring your mom. It's something to do. It'll hopefully be nice weather. You get to play in the schmutz and all other kinds of programs over there. And if you want to get in touch with me, the easiest way is to go to my website, which is rabbifinman.com. So we've got two websites. We've got jewishferndale.com and we have rabbifinman.com. And you can easiest way to contact me is with rabbifinman.com. And there we can see the various other things that I do to, to make Judaism more educational, entertaining for you. And there's also the very important donation page because... You want quality broadcasting, which you're listening to. You're listening already now for almost 55 minutes already, so you must be enjoying it. And hopefully you learn something about it, and hopefully you're inspired. Maybe you'll go out and buy the book Architect Torah by Joshua Scarf, published by Urim Publications. So the, these things are all up there. So everything costs, so we have the donations page. So go to the donations page and make a donation and uh, help keep the Jewish Hour now in its 29th year. Can you believe it? I was a little tiny kid that spoken. Spoken as a tenor voice? No, I had a, <laughs> I had a, a baritone voice back then also. But uh, we've only been on because of listeners like you have come through every single month. I do this every month. 
And it just amazes me how we're still trying to do April. It's May already. So understood Passover and expenses and these things and uh, waiting for your tax return or maybe you spent your tax return already. So, but it's can uh, it's a, a, a nonprofit organization and it can be taken off from your your tithes and it can be taken off of your taxes so you gotta be happy the IRS will be happy you'll be happy donate today it doesn't have to be huge could be small could be make it monthly you can do that too it's all there on rabbifinman.com if you are such a person that still writes checks which there are people that are less and less doing that then you can send that check to 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. The Lagboimer is a reprieve in the quasi-morning period, which we are. People do listen to music. We'll have like a live concert. And people get married. People have been refraining from getting married this time. But there's a one day that people do get married, and that's the Lagboimer. So it once happened sometime around the end of the 1700s where there was a wedding. And attendance at the wedding was Rabbi Avram Tversky of Trisk, who was the son of Mordechai of Chernobyl. Everybody knows about Chernobyl now. And Rabbi Mordechai Shraga of Husyatin. And there was a young man there who insulted the rabbi of Trisk. And the rabbi of Husyatin took umbrage with this and said, this can't, this, you can't just let this go. You have to, you have to, this person has to feel the consequences of it. We have to take him to a, to a, uh, a court case. And the rabbi of this town, whose name was, which I don't know the name of the rabbi, rabbi but a very uh, erudite scholar, he should adjudicate the case. So when the young man heard this, he started to tremble. So the rabbi of Trisk said, wait, 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 said, rather than doing that let the man uh, let let i think i maybe got the names mixed up so it was the uh the rabbi suggested that rather than punishing him that the rabbi of trisk should give the young man a blessing that he become fabulously wealthy because he said if you go to a court case what's going to happen he's going to get a fine he doesn't have any money he's not collectible he doesn't have any money to pay you Give him a blessing that he becomes fabulously wealthy. And then he'll see that because of your blessing, this rabbi of Trisk was known as a person who could give good blessings, that, that, the, that he was wrong in saying, insulting you like this. And then he'll come and he'll make amends on his own. And that's what happened. That's the story. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope we have a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. Come to Lag Boimer on Tuesday at 5.30 at Jewish Ferndale. And we hope you have a great week. Take care.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.